This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for April 12, 2019. In this week's episode, is Alexa spying on you? An Apple employee is detained by border agents, and Apple may be contemplating a breakup of iTunes. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. So, Josh, before the show, you and I were talking together with our producer, Victor, and we are all suffering from pollen this week. So please excuse us if our voices sound nasal or raspy or anything. Uh, it's We're in three different parts of the world, and it's the same everywhere. This is really annoying, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Pollen's a problem. Nasty pollen. Yes. Nature is evil. Tree pollen. Anyway. Um, this week, we're going to do something very different. We're actually not going to mention Facebook. I believe there might have been another Facebook breach last week, but we've gotten so used to them that they're just not that worth mentioning anymore. We just have to assume they happen every week. <laughs> However, we're going to talk about Amazon, and there was an interesting article on Bloomberg this week. Amazon workers are listening to what you tell Alexa, and the subheading to that title is a global team reviews audio clips in an effort to help the voice-activated assistant respond to commands. Just as a parenthesis, I have a hate-hate a, a relationship with Siri. It often doesn't work for me. And I posted something on my website today. I was in the kitchen and I wanted to add something to my shopping list. And I do this often on my iPhone. But I had my watch with me. My iPhone was in my office, a different room. And, and Siri on my watch says, hold on, I'll tap you when I'm ready. And I'm still waiting for that tap. Um, whenever I'm more than 10 or 20 feet from my iPhone, even if I'm on the same Wi-Fi network, it doesn't work. And I've pretty much gotten so tired of these things that I don't really like to use them. I think you have an Alexa device, don't you? And you use it a bit. Yeah, I do. I have uh, a couple of Amazon Echo devices. I've got one uh, of the original units in the kitchen, and then um, I've got another um, smaller, uh, I guess it's an Echo Dot in another part of the house. Um, so the hockey puck, yeah, the little hockey puck shaped one. Um, and yeah, so I, we do use them. Um, and as I've mentioned before on the show, I leave them muted, uh, when we're not actively using them so that they can't just pick up random conversation. Theoretically. I mean, there's no, they give you a little light indicator to show you that it's muted, but how do you really know that it's muted? I mean, you can you can try to use your wake word yeah. and see if it activates. But what if they're just muting your wake word and they're still spying on you? I don't know. Well, so this is what the Bloomberg article is saying. It says that uh, Amazon has thousands of people around the world that help improve the Alexa digital assistant. This, these people listen to voice recordings that are captured in Echo owners' homes and offices, including yours. These recordings are transcribed, annotated, then fed back into the software as part of an effort to eliminate gaps in Alexa's understanding of human speech and help it better respond to commands. Now, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but I worked as a translator for a long time, and I've been using speech recognition on the desktop since it was first launched in the late 1990s on the Mac. IBM had a program called ViaVoice. And it is extremely difficult to recognize speech, and the amount of progress that has been made has been extraordinary. Um, but one thing that this uh, article points out, that there are many languages where you have words that sound the same and mean different things. 
Um, you know, we have tons of those in English, there and there and there. Um, and so it's important for the algorithm to understand the context of the words around it to choose which version of that word it's going to react to. Um, is it, there are many things? Is it, uh, give me their books? Is it, look over there? And in English, you know, in many cases, the context is obvious, but it's not always the case. Apparently, they have employees who work nine-hour shifts, parsing as many as a 1,000 audio clips per shift, and they listen, and there may be a few words, there may be a minute, there may be a few seconds, um, and they transcribe this so it can essentially help the Alexa system better understand you. The problem is that they're hearing an awful lot of what's going on in your home. Now, Amazon says that none of this is personally identifiable, but... I don't know, if you're talking to Alexa and say, um, hey, why don't you call my sister? Here's her telephone number. What's your sister's address? You, you know, if Alexa's hearing you while you're talking about these things and you've mentioned the wake word and you get into a conversation with someone, that's one thing. But it even seems that in some of these cases, it's listening when Alexa is triggered without the wake word. And this could be uh, noise from a TV. This could be you know, the the joke on podcast is that every time someone says, hey, seriously, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, see, mine just woke up on my iPhone. So these things can be triggered without you intentionally triggering them. Right. And this we know this happens. Um, we, we've talked before about, you know, cases where some conversation accidentally got picked up and in, and in one really unusual case somebody's boss actually was able to listen into their personal um alexa enabled device and hear some conversation that they were having that's pretty rare for something like that to happen but i have seen it happen from time to time where <clears throat> my echo will activate because it thinks that we said something that sounded like alexa it doesn't it's very rare that something like that happens um i've definitely seen it happen a lot more often with siri um, where like you'll be sitting in a meeting or something and something sounded just enough like, Hey Siri, that it now, now someone's phone just activated and embarrassed everybody in the, in the middle of the meeting. The word seriously is very close to what it takes to wake up the iPhone. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very commonly used word in the English language and, you know, and Siri, unfortunately is part of that word. So, uh, you know, it's it's not. I can't think of anything that would sound like Alexa. Can you? N n no, which is why I suspect that it doesn't. I'll ask her. I, I guess it maybe it partly depends on your accent. Um, you know, I, I could see maybe if you have Alaska, the state. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I could see that possibly. Um, it, so so it's not nearly as often that. Yeah, and maybe that's why they chose the name Alexa because it's a little bit um, unique in that sense. It doesn't sound too much like a lot of other uh, English words, but nevertheless, this does happen from time to time. I think what's more interesting, though, is you know just the fact that when you are purposely activating, even then. Um, these things that you say, whatever follows that are getting recorded. And this is something that I don't think a lot of people necessarily realize. I think a lot of people just assume that this is either somehow magically happening on the device that it interprets what you're saying or 
maybe they know better and they know that what you're saying, a little that little audio clip is actually getting sent off for processing somewhere else. I think people don't necessarily assume that the company is going to hang on to that audio clip and have engineers, human beings, listen to it and try to interpret it and see if it could help improve the technology. And that's what, of course, I mean, it makes sense that a company like Amazon would be doing something like this because you want to improve the technology, right? Yes, but does it make sense that they do this to everyone, that they're not asking you explicitly if you want your data to be used? Does it make sense that they're not just limiting this to Amazon employees and uh, you know, focus groups and testing people. I understand they want the biggest data set possible, but it seems to be quite intrusive that they're doing this to anyone. Actually, so I, it's been a long time since I set up my Echo devices, but um, I know sometimes when you're setting up a new device or service, there will be a little checkbox that says, help us improve you know, our services. And and it's checked by default, of course, because the company wants you to help them to improve their services. And in this case, what that would mean is that, you know, we're going to use your data. Now, I'm pretty certain that Amazon doesn't do that with the Alexa-enabled devices, because that's the kind of thing that I always look for. And when I'm signing up for a new service, I uncheck those boxes, because I know exactly what that means. It means that if it's a piece of software, that if there's a crash, and there's some information stored in memory that might be somewhat private, in my opinion, I don't want that necessarily going off to the developers. So I always uncheck those boxes for privacy reasons. And so I don't think that Amazon actually checks in with you and makes sure that you want this feature enabled by default. I think it just enables it. And uh, and that's where it's a little bit of a concern. You don't need an app to set up an Alexa device, do you? Or maybe you do to be able to sign into your account. Yeah. In, in order to, to manage some of the settings, you do need uh, an app, I, I believe. I, there may be a way to do this on the web, too. But I know that there is, on iOS, there's an Amazon uh, Alexa app that you can use to manage some of your settings and, and, and change some defaults, some things that you can't really do from the audio interface. Um, you do need an app to do some, some of those types of things. So regarding Siri, uh, I checked on the iPhone before the show and there is no option for Siri to share or not share data. However, if you go into, uh, settings, privacy, and then all the way at the bottom analytics, you have an option, share iPhone and watch analytics. If you have a watch and share iCloud analytics, Presumably, the Siri data is under that share iPhone and watch analytics setting, which, of course, I've turned off. I'm a little bit surprised that Apple doesn't make it clear that Siri is involved. The Bloomberg article says that just like Amazon, uh, Apple does analyze some of this data. Google does this as well. Apparently, Apple keeps it for six months, but it's totally random. There's no identifier. But some of the data may be stored for longer periods to improve Siri's voice recognition. It's entirely possible that this Bloomberg article is just sort of taking the lid off something that all of these companies are doing and we didn't really think about because, as you said earlier, it kind of makes sense that they have to figure this stuff out. It is just a little bit disturbing that this is happening even when one of the people, I'm quoting from the article, one of the people said the auditors each transcribe as many as 100 recordings a day when Alexa receives no wake command or is triggered by accident. Wow. That's that's pretty significant. Uh, yeah. And, and a little bit surprising because I wouldn't think that that would happen that often. But um, 
Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't use Alexa. I only have Siri on my watch um, to be able to do things in the kitchen and it doesn't work half the time. So I'm not going to worry too much about it. Um, but what this does bring up is that whenever you're using a device like this, check the settings, check the defaults, check anything where you're agreeing to share data with a company, um, turn them off. As you said, you turn them off all the time. I do too. Whenever I set up a new uh, account on my Mac or on a, an iPad or something, you know, there's a setting, do you want to share analytics data? It's checked by default, right? And you have to tap something to say no, and I always turn it off. Yeah, this is a, a concept that I've heard people call the tyranny of the default, right? You know, <laughs> the company oh. imposes upon you what the default settings are, what they should be. And then if you choose to continue with the default settings, um, you may get some things that you didn't really ask for. Okay, in other news, we've got a Washington Post article. An Apple employee was detained by U.S. Customs agents after declining to unlock his phone and laptop. And this is a gentleman named Andreas Gall, and he was returning from a trip to Sweden. Um, he had two uh, Apple devices. One was an iPhone XS that flashed confidential and proprietary on its lock screen, and the MacBook Pro had a sticker said, Property of Apple Proprietary. It's very possible that these were um, prototypes, uh, if Apple labels them like that. And the customs officers ordered him to unlock the phone and hand it over. And, of course, he said he couldn't do anything without first consulting a lawyer or his employer um, because he had been specially prohibited from giving anyone access to these devices. Now, again, this isn't your iPhone or my iPhone. This is probably an iPhone that has information that goes far beyond just this guy's Twitter account and Facebook and all that. Now, this gets a lot more complicated. The person saying it didn't seem random, that he was targeted for some reason. Uh, the ACLU's gotten involved. But this is a pretty uh, interesting thing. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, in the U.S. now, I think it has been determined that Border Patrol Customs agents can require you to unlock your phone without a warrant. Which is very strange, because you would think that that should violate your Fourth Amendment rights. But, exactly. Um, apparently, when you're at the border, you don't have any rights, or at least that's what seems to be increasingly the case, which is, uh, which is something that certainly Americans are not accustomed to. We, we have our rights, and we believe that when we're on U.S. soil, especially, then we should be entitled to those rights, regardless of where we are. Um, and, um, you know, I guess border agents are above the law in that, in that sense, which is, um, uh, which, you know, obviously I think most Americans would argue should not necessarily be the case, especially when you're talking about something like this, where, um, it's very clear looking at the device, you know, um, it wouldn't be difficult for a customs agent to figure out that this guy actually does work for Apple. And, uh, and then he may actually have some proprietary software or hardware that he's not allowed to show to other people um, because of non-disclosure agreements. Okay. To be fair, Josh, to be fair, you or I could take a screenshot and put confidential and proprietary on it and use it as a lock screen wallpaper. We could put, um, you know, stickers on our MacBook Pros. So there's nothing that proves that this is really true. Uh, however, they should have given the person the opportunity, as he said, he wanted to talk to either a lawyer or his employer, um, because this was probably a big issue. Some of us remember that uh, iPhone prototype that got lost in a bar. I think it was the very first iPhone and that a journalist happened to find. Um, and this created a whole 
big deal about the intellectual property and the device, etc. I think that there's, I've read a couple of interesting things to point out here. So we've talked before about Face ID and Touch ID. Anyone can hold your new iPhone up in front of you and activate Face ID. But there's a quick way to turn it off. You press the power button, I believe, five times, and it turns off Face ID or Touch ID. But I've read another situation. Some people are saying, if you're going into the United States and you don't want your phone to be searched, back it up to the cloud, erase everything, delete it. Get your phone to that screen where it says hello when you're first getting ready to set up the phone. And then when you get to the States and you've crossed the border, restore your backup from the cloud. Yeah, you could certainly do that. You're, you're probably going to be missing some features, but uh, but it could work. And, you know, the other thing is you probably shouldn't be bringing your laptop with you because, unfortunately, there is no easy way to just magically restore everything to your laptop. Um, so if you're traveling light, you know, only bringing a, an iOS device, um, yeah, I could see that. That could actually work for you. Yeah, well, with your laptop, if you put everything in the cloud, um, you could erase your user account and have a, just a dummy user account with no data then set up a new user account, download your Dropbox app or whatever, get all your files back. It would take a little bit of work, but it's entirely possible. The other thing that you possibly could do um, that might at least fool, you know, kind of your average border agent is if you set up um, two accounts on your on your computer and you put some, you know, uh, typical stuff, you know, a couple of files scattered on your desktop on the second account um, to make it look like that's an account you actually use. And then you set your Mac so that it doesn't show the usernames when, you, uh, when you're at the login screen where it just shows a username and password field. Um, then you could log into your secondary account and they can take a look all they want and they won't really be able to see much in that account. Now, if they know a little bit more than the average person, they can probably figure out that they can go into Macintosh HD and your users folder and find another account and they might ask about that. That's at least a way that you can possibly get around kind of the average person wanting to see what's on your device at the border. Okay, but we're going to have a link in the show notes to an Apple document called Hide a User Account in Mac OS. You can hide it in the login window. This requires a terminal command, so you need to know how to do this. But you can also hide the home directory. So even if they get into the computer and look around, they won't see the home directory. So you can essentially make your Mac look like, as you say, you've got the one account, which is your dummy account, and you've got the other Tom Cruise account, um, which is hidden. And once you get to your hotel or whatever, you reload this page and you put the secret terminal commands in and you make it appear again. So not that we're recommending that anyone do this when they're approaching borders. We're just providing information that can be useful to some people. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about iTunes because there's yet again some rumors that iTunes is going to be broken up into little shards of apps. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. 
And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 50%. That's PODCAST19 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So, as we mentioned in the first half, there's been some news uh, this week suggesting that Apple will be breaking apart iTunes into little tiny bits that will just sparkle on your Mac. A lot of people have been calling for breaking up iTunes, and there have been petitions, and there have been rants of people claiming that iTunes is bloated, and this has been going on for as long as iTunes has existed, I think. But what Apple's going to do, and I've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog um, explaining what I really think is going to happen. So we'll link to an article on 9to5Mac where someone found some icons in some uh, betas of Mac OS. And the suggestion is that in the next version of Mac OS, which would be 10.15 coming out in the fall, there will be multiple apps doing what iTunes does. Now, Apple has already said there'll be a TV app for the Mac. The TV app, if if you're familiar with iOS and the Apple TV That's where you can see your movies and your TV shows and your rentals, if you have rental movies. Um, These are any movies that are in your iTunes store library, not your actual iTunes library, but the one in your iTunes store. So anything you've bought from Apple. So what Apple's going to do, and they've been heading in this direction for a while, is split out some of the features in iTunes into individual apps. I'm guessing that there's going to be a music app probably called Apple Music, and I'll explain why later. There will certainly be a podcast app. There'll be a TV app, and we already have a books app. That apparently is going to be revamped a little bit uh, to change because of the the direction that Apple's been going in books, which, you know, the whole iTunes being an audio and video app and also managing ebooks uh, makes it complicated. And this, of course, comes to the heart of the problem with iTunes. iTunes is not just an app for playing back content. It's an app for managing and storing your content for your library of content. Yeah, iTunes has a lot of different functions, including, you know, you that's what you use to back up and synchronize your iOS devices. So your iPhone, your iPad, if you want to back them up to your computer, the only way that you can do that is with the iTunes app, or at least the only supported way. I guess there are some third-party utilities that will do some things. There are third-party apps, yeah, that can do that. Um, and what's interesting to point out, and I'm pretty sure we've discussed this several times, is while you can back up your iOS device to iCloud, it's a good idea to use the belt and suspenders approach and also back it up locally. It's a lot quicker to restore it locally than it is to restore it from the cloud. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, it also backs up more than iCloud backups do. Um, There are certain app settings and things that do not get backed up to iCloud. 
for mostly for security reasons and and also there may be some other reasons as well but certain settings do not get backed up to iCloud so it's definitely better to if you can restore from a local backup if you're if you're trying to restore everything and as you point out people do sync their devices with iTunes and these are fewer and far between but if you're not using iCloud for photos you can still get photos off your Mac or your Windows PC um, using iTunes to put them on your device. You may be syncing contacts and calendars. And in fact, there are people in certain companies where they have to sync that way because they can't use iCloud to sync the content, given the way that the company organizes all their data. And I mentioned Windows because if Apple's going to come out with these little apps for Mac, will they be able to do the same thing for Windows? Um, what's most likely, and we mentioned this uh, some weeks ago, Apple's going to use this new framework that they're calling Marzipan. You can see Marzipan in macOS today. On macOS Mojave, there are four apps using Marzipan. There's News, Stocks, Voice Memos, and Home. Um, you'll note that all of these apps are very simple. They have single windows. They don't have tabs. Uh, there's not a lot you can do with them. And Home is the best example. While you can get different views, uh, it's basically you're clicking buttons and adjusting some settings. News is more complicated, and we talked about that last week with the Apple News+. Plus. But all of these apps are using a framework that is designed to take iOS apps and more or less carry them over to the Mac without changing too much. And, and this, of course, Apple will be leveraging to allow developers to do this in the future, but they're starting out with their apps first. Right. It makes sense to do that. I think, um, I mean, Apple does this a lot where they they sort of set the standard for other developers to follow. So I, I think I think it makes a lot of sense to to break out the app in certain ways. So, for example, the podcasts, um, that's always been something that's been I feel a little overly complicated. Um, there, there's certain things in, in iTunes where it just takes a an awful number of clicks to get to certain things. And if you want to find a new podcast and you've never used the iTunes app before and you open it up, it's going to take you a whole bunch of clicks and looking around before you find how to find podcasts. And then on top of that, you get all the things that Apple's currently promoting. So the the really popular podcasts or the ones may, maybe where somebody who works at Apple knows a guy who runs a podcast. And so they put, they feature all those right up front. And it might be difficult to find the particular types of podcasts or particular individual podcasts that you might really be looking for. So um, I, I think there's definitely a lot of room for improvement there. I don't know that breaking it out is necessarily going to fix all those problems, but it does make it a little bit easier to discover podcasts. I'm not sure it'll fix anything. And so my thought is that Apple is still going to continue using iTunes um, for the reasons we mentioned before, backing up and syncing, but also managing your local library. If you've got music on your Mac, you want to be able to manage it in your library. It's the same with videos that you've ripped from DVDs, home videos. I mean, there's a whole slew of content that people do store in iTunes. And of course, there's the iTunes store. Would Apple create a separate iTunes store app when they've already got it in iTunes? What I think is going to happen is Apple's going to come out with these additional apps that will let you access certain types of content with less friction, with less overhead. So the music app will probably be exactly like the iOS music app. It will let you access Apple Music, your iCloud music library if you use it, and you'll be streaming music. You won't be accessing the music that's local. Now, perhaps it will be able to pipe into your local library to save you bandwidth. But it won't give you any options to retag your files or do anything more complicated. 
podcasts will be just like the iOS podcast app, uh, a lot simpler. And yeah, I agree, iTunes podcast um, feature is really, really complicated. The TV app will take videos and movies, um, Apple content, but not your own home movies, because that's not in the cloud. And for the books app, I'm pretty sure that what they're going to do is roll audiobooks into that now, because on iOS, you can have ebooks and audiobooks in the books app, but on the Mac, you only have ebooks. Audiobooks are still stored and managed in iTunes. So there's certainly a lot of logic for books there. There's logic to providing a simple Apple Music player. And I don't know if I can tout my other podcast, the next track. Um, my co-host and I, Doug Adams, a couple months ago, we discussed exactly this. What happens if you take apart iTunes? Why not have a simple player, a small window that just lets you access your library and play your music or your podcast or your video? Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to do that. I, I think, um, I, I mean, looking at iTunes right now, you've got some big categories, right? You've got music, you've got movies, TV shows, podcasts, and audiobooks. And then under each of those categories, you've got your library and you've got, at, at least you've got the library and the store. So you can purchase any of those types of content as well as look at what, what you've currently got purchased on your device. So I, I think, Kirk, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're of the opinion that Apple would actually keep iTunes more or less the way that it is in terms of having the library and store all still part of that iTunes app, and then also have a separate app, that uh, this marzipan simplified app that uh, has um, sort of a more focused experience on that type of content. Yeah, and, and that makes sense in a way because there are many people who only use Apple Music or who only stream from their iCloud Music library. Um, there are many people who maybe want to listen to podcasts but don't want to have to click all those little menus and buttons to get to the podcast in iTunes. When When Apple created the latest version of iTunes where you have that um, library, they call it the media picker up at the top left, where you click and you get the different types of content, as you said, movies, TV shows, music, etc. And then you have another row of tabs in the middle. This is like a, a, a matrix spreadsheet, like a pivot table in a spreadsheet or something. It'd be really confusing to get from one to another. It's a maze, yeah. It is. But most people, when they interact with iTunes, most of the time, they're just playing something. Now, those of us who do manage media libraries will want that ability to keep managing them. And I, I can't see Apple getting rid of that anytime soon. But offering a, a light version of iTunes, for many years I've been saying that Apple should have two settings in iTunes, like the advanced view and the simple view. Do you remember Simple Finder? I don't know if they still do that. Um, but Apple had created a version of the Finder that was really simple that you could let kids use. And there would just be big icons and you'd click them. They, they kind of need that in iTunes to give people the opportunity to use iTunes without being overwhelmed. When you do need to be overwhelmed, you're ripping a CD, you're importing a, a film that you've ripped or something like that, you still have the power. I can't see Apple ever getting rid of that. And again, would they make a separate app for the iTunes store? The problem with people who've talked about splitting up iTunes was always that you'd end up with six apps. And do you really want six apps to do the same things that you can do with a single app? Do you want a separate app just for choosing content to sync? That kind of seems like overkill. And for Apple to rewrite all of that into individual apps would be a lot of work. For Apple to take a Marzipan app and just port over the Apple Music interface and the iCloud Music interface, for example, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, I... 
I, I wonder what this is really going to ultimately look like. I definitely think it makes a lot of sense to have individual apps broken out to do these things in a much simpler way because the iTunes interface is complicated. Um, and, and going back to that point of, you know, if you've never used the iTunes app before, you know, it's there's it's certainly not intuitive. It's the opposite of intuition, you know, to, to stick a menu up in the top left corner that by the way, is I think it defaults to music the very first time that you open it up. And if you have no, if you've never used that menu before, you have no idea that there's movies, TV shows, podcasts, audiobooks that, and there's, and there's, a way to access the store for all of those individual items, but you first have to select it from that menu and then you have to click on store. It's so complicated. Yeah, it is. Um, but I think uh, w- one thing that people need to bear in mind is that other than the bit where you are managing your library, iTunes is basically a web browser. So if you go into the music section of the store or Apple music, this is just web pages that are being loaded into the iTunes app um, this is the same content that goes into the music app on iOS. It's just displayed in a different way. It's just the browser knows that for this device, I display it like this. For that device, I display it like that. It's actually quite banal for Apple to create, let's say, an Apple Music app or an iCloud Music Library app that's just displaying this web content that already exists. The same goes for podcasts. The same goes for the TV. These are all just web pages. It's just HTML and CSS. It's really simple stuff. It's not like iTunes 15 years ago, where there were all sorts of complicated displays set up. Remember, iTunes is just a database. I like to use that as an example of what it is. It's not really that complicated. It's a database that gets a lot of data from the content you've put in a specific folder that iTunes reads or folders in different locations. And all it does is display that data in different ways. The iOS versions of these apps are just simple web clients. So it makes sense for Apple to do this and to gravitate away from the negative opinion that some people have of iTunes. As you say, if you're just discovering it, you've let's say you've just switched to the Mac uh, and you're discovering iTunes and you've never used it before. In other words, you've lived in a cave for the past 15 years. But it can be complicated. And if they can simplify the core features of iTunes, I think that makes sense. But I really don't expect them to get rid of iTunes as a way of managing a local library. Yeah, and because it does so many other things, uh, including like we were talking about syncing your iOS devices, uh, where are they going to put that? They would have to have a separate app for that, too. And that, um, you know, when you start adding that many apps, now we're talking about what, like six different apps? And that, that could get really complicated i think so yeah as i said before you know the they the first step toward this was what two years ago three years ago when they took the app store out of itunes on the desktop and this has actually been problematic because if i'm on my mac and i see an article about an ios app and i click a link to go to the website then i click a link to buy it in the app store i just get a web page in safari or i get something that says can't display this here Uh, You have the similar problem on iOS when you see something about a Mac app because it can't display Mac App Store content. And while I kind of understand why Apple did that, I don't think it's been the best thing either for developers or for users to not have access to that anymore. Apple would certainly get a lot more 
purchases, I think, if they allowed you to buy Mac apps when you're on your iOS device and vice versa. But I think their whole reason that they're avoiding doing that is because they don't want to confuse users and make a user think, oh, I'm buying an iOS app and they're actually buying a Mac OS app on their iOS device. I think they're afraid of having to do a lot of refunds and all kinds of things like that. Okay, that's enough for today. Um, We're going to go back and take some more allergy pills and blow our noses and do all that sort of stuff. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>